This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLegaJet1. And I am joined to talk about training camp and what it's like to be there, what we're looking forward to, some training camp memories, and the legacy of one of the best Jets head coaches of all time who unfortunately passed away recently, Walt Michaels. With a return guest, somebody who is a legend in her own right. If you haven't read her book, X's and O's Don't Mean I Love You, you absolutely should. If you like football at all, and especially if you like the Jets, she's going to be up at training camp. And as she was just telling me before we started recording, she loves talking to people that are football fans. So if you see her, go up and say hello. Well, if she's not busy, if she's in the middle of telling somebody what they're doing wrong or something, <laughs> don't go up at that point. <laughs> Wait a little bit, but she loves talking to people. So if you see her at training camp, go up and say hello. Of course, the great Connie Carberg. Connie, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Oh, Scott, it's a pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Let's talk a little bit about training camp. What are you most looking forward to when you come up? Because you come up every year for training camp. This year, obviously, they made a big splash. New general manager, new head coach, new players, C.J. Mosley, Le'Veon Bell, Quinn and Williams. What are you looking forward to seeing when you come up? Well, Scott, there's so much to see. First of all, I got to get the roster and look at all the new players and all the new numbers and <laughs> try to um, memorize them. <laughs> there's a lot of new guys. So that's number one. Of course, we all know uh, with our quarterback, but Sam Donalds. So we're all set there. But there's just a lot of players. We have a bunch of the rookies to look at. Hopefully, we'll be signing Quinn and Williams soon. But I'm, I'm very anxious to see, uh, you know, Blake Cashman. I'm very anxious to watch uh, Trevin Wesco and, and Tuma Adoga. And so, so many of the other guys and some of the free agents that we signed also. Um, I want to see the offensive line, how it's looking. I want to see the tempo and how they are under Adam Gase, uh, how the practices are run, you know, see how different it is or how much alike it is from previous years. Um, as, we, as we know, the practices are going to be very early in the morning. So I want to see how awake everybody is at 830 in the morning <laughs> for the practices. And uh, so that should be interesting. And um, I'm so happy they got Bilal Powell back. And uh, that made me very, very happy. Bilal, to me, is the consummate pro and so dependable. And as long as he's healed up, I think he's just an invaluable person to have on this team with the type of person he is and a great blocker, but also just a locker room kind of guy and just a real pro. Connie, I was telling you before we started recording, Part of the reason that I like you so much and I think we get along so well is because even though you're a legend and a trailblazer, at your core, you're just a hardcore football fan and somebody who really loves football. And when you talk about the Jets and specifically when you talk about Sam Darnold, it gushes out of you how much you seem (laughs) to be excited to watch him and see him progress in his second season, just like All Jets fans are, because I think what people may or may not realize if they don't know you well enough is that above everything, you are a diehard Jets fan and you desperately want to see this team succeed the same way that we all do. When you think about coming up to see Sam Darnold in training camp, just how excited are you to watch him take that next step or at least begin to take that next step as he practices in the Adam Gase offense, starts to learn that and begins to get ready for his sophomore season? I'm very excited. You know, um, he had the great year, especially towards the end. And with Josh McCown, who did such an amazing job of grooming and even after his injury, watching Josh and preparing, as Sam himself has said. And so I think this year and 
with Adam Gase being known quite quite a bit as an offensive quarterback guru. I'm hoping that this will be the great stride that he will. He's all football, Sam, and I guess that's what I love so much. He's just total, total into football. You can see, feel the love, and his attitude. Um, he's not too high, not too low, and just totally for the game. So he's very exciting. He's mobile enough that he doesn't rely on that completely, but he's mobile enough to make things happen. Um, I, I just found him so exciting when he was at USC. That first time I saw him, I just never dreamed that we'd get him. And just to see the development this year, I think it's going to, and now that we're giving him some extra weapons, the main thing is to keep him clean and keep him off the ground. You were out at USC recently for a talk, right? Did you get to talk to anybody yeah. out there about Sam Darnold? Uh, yes, quite a few. I was talking to a bunch of classes all about um, you know, my history with the Jets and being the first female scout in the NFL. Um, I didn't get to go to a practice because the classes were at the time that I spoke with. I was hoping to, to have a chance to do that, but maybe next year they said they'll have me back out, so I'll have a chance to. But everybody out there has such positive things to say about Sam. Very much so, and they think it's a great um, choice for the Jets, and they're very excited as well. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Connie, one thing that I haven't had a chance to talk to you about on the air since it happened was that piece that NFL Films did on you that aired on FS1. I was watching it, and being friendly with you, it felt surreal because I know how much you love football, as I said, and I know how much all of this means to you and how humble a person you are. So it must have been really weird to watch yourself like this. Tell me about that experience. What was it like filming that and then watching yourself in that segment? Uh, it was really one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I didn't know it was going to happen. Uh, they approached me last year out of a clear blue after they had um, seen my book and read my book and thought it would be a, a nice piece to do. And a wonderful girl named Katie Morello uh, came out to my house with a whole crew out in Orla to Orlando. They came out for the day. They filmed everything. And for the whole day, then also they mic'd me up at the last year when I came up for the Legends weekend and for the green and white scrimmage. And then they also mic'd me up again with the 50th reunion of the Super Bowl team because I grew up with that team with my dad and my uncle being the team doctors. And I knew all those guys, including with Joe Willie Namath. 
And so they talked and filmed uh, tons of stuff, and then they had to condense it down to the 10 minutes, but they did a marvelous job, Katie did especially. And the whole thing came out really well. They put that on. It's on YouTube now as well as on my Twitter account. And it was it's just a dream come true because they did a beautiful job of kind of explaining my my you know my trail my the way that I became a scout my whole life with the Jets uh, my my passion my love my bleeding green and white. How was the feedback for that? Was it universally positive? Yes, you know as I say, so often on social media it can be very tough. People can be negative and everything else. I can't tell you how positive people were. I heard from so many on, from, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, people that I didn't even know uh, sent a messenger, so many wonderful people that I wrote back to and got to know, and just so many amazing, and they would tell me their experiences about the Jets, their love for the Jets, both men and women. And so it was a wonderful, wonderful experience, and I was so glad that they enjoyed it. Um, I hope even more people get to see it now and that they enjoy it as well. That's one of the things that you can talk to Connie about if you see her at training camp. She's going to be there all the way up through the middle of the month. And when you're there, Connie, you're going to be there just observing as you are every year at training camp. It's something that I know that you look forward to doing every year. What are some of your favorite memories at training camp? And what's your typical day like at training camp? Do you just show up real early, kind of take notes? Do they try and pick your brain at all? It's been different through the years because ever since I left the Jets, I used to go to Hofstra all the time and I would go there and they used to have two a days. And of course, that was a lot different. So you would go in the morning and I stayed with a friend there because um, my, fa- my, uh, my father had retired as a team doctor. And so I would stay there and then I would go to two a day practices. And they, were, they were allowed to hit a lot harder back then. And so it was easier to pick out like the rookies and the players that you thought would be really good. Like when I saw Chad Cascadden or different people like that. Well, then they went to Cortland next when, when Rex became coach. And that was a wonderful experience there. It was just a beautiful place and um, very personal and a lot of fun. And you got to talk and you see everybody around. Uh, of course, now we're over at Atlantic Health over in New Jersey. And I'm still very blessed. The Jets treat me unbelievably like family. I can't tell you how wonderful the Jets always have been to me. So I stay at the hotel. I go to practices. Um, if I see, see players afterwards, I will, you know, talk with them, discuss things, or I might see them at the hotel afterwards. Uh, I'll go to the Jet Giant game. Um, is just what uh, right now the practices are different than they were last year, so it'll be just a little different uh, situation. I'll have to figure out how how that all works. Um, and then a lot of times I'll see a lot of my Twitter friends or my Facebook friends that are Jet fans, and I love it. A couple have already contacted me. And I said, I love it. I'll see you after practice or anything. Contact. I, I could talk Jets all day, all night. I never get tired of it. And people are just so, Jet fans are just a, a great group of people. And I love talking to them anytime. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
And a perfect place to talk about the Jets would be at the Legends festivities, which you're going to be a part of. Tell me a little bit about who you look forward to seeing at those, because I know my old friend Wesley Walker likes to go to those, and he's a really fun guy to talk to. I know that a lot of other guys from all the different years and all the different eras with the New York Jets show up to those. Who are you looking forward to seeing, and what are those Legends weekends usually like? Well, every year they have the Legends weekend, and every year it's you have some of the same guys come back, but then there's always a few extra uh, or different players that show up. And so you never really know for sure who's going to be there, which kind of makes it exciting. So, you know, I'll see Nick Lowry and I'll see Wesley Walker and I will see Brucey Harper and I will see Gastineau and I will see uh, Klecko and um, I'll see Marty Lyons usually. And then um, some other players from the past will come in, you know, like a Dallas Howell. You might see, um, then, uh, let's see, okay, oh, Lavernius Coles came last year, Lance Mel, uh, Freeman McNeil. Um, there are guys that even sometimes some of the Titans have come back, um, have, have come in, and they, were, they would come over. So you never know uh, the different errors that come in. Um, Noah Burroughs, just different players. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Glenn Foley. Um, but I can't even think of it, but there's quite a few, and you just never know who's going to come in. I love being able to have a chance to catch up with players that, either when I was there or when I came up and visited and everybody gets together and has a a wonderful time. Let's talk a little bit about Walt Michaels. Now he unfortunately passed away recently at the age of 89. And I know that you had a real affinity for Walt Michaels because when you were first getting going in the NFL, Walt was with the jets and he was part of the group of people that gave you your first shot and really had a lot of faith in you. And together you and Walt and the rest of the people that were involved in making decisions for the Jets really built something there before Walt was forced out after 1982, after the Jets lost at the Mud Bowl in the AFC Championship game, which you and I were talking about before we started recording. We still want to pull our hair out over that one. <laughs> yes. I still yes. believe that Shula did it on purpose. In fact, I know he did it on purpose, and if he hadn't, no Freeman question. McNeil would have run all over the field, and the Jets would have gone to the Super Bowl, but... I digress. Yes. Let's talk about Walt Michaels before I start getting too emotional and upset about the mud <laughs> ball again, which happens a lot, as you know. Walt Michaels, <laughs> I think, has a place in Jets history that not enough Jets fans are aware of. When he came in, this team was kind of a mess. He was taking over for Lou Holtz after that whole disaster, and it was a situation where he had played for the Browns for a long time, and then he was on their staff. He was with the Jets for a long time, but he got passed over for head coach, and then he left, and then he came back, and then he had that run where he started off, and the team was really bad. They were one of the worst teams in the league. They were 3-11. and The next year, he got coach of the year, and then it built and built and built, 81, he actually was on the hot seat at the beginning because the team started off rough, but then they really hit their stride. And as we know, in 81, they ended up going all the way to the playoffs. They were one of the hottest teams in the league down the stretch. That heartbreaking loss against the Bills, we'll get to that. And then 82, the mud ball, and then Walt was forced out after that. But let's start at the beginning here. Your first encounter with Walt Michaels. My very first encounter, he, he came to the Jets in 63, and he was with the Jets from 63 to 73. And what, that was a year in 63 that my father and my uncle, they became the team doctors for the Jets, and actually the Titans, and then into the Jets. And my father, Dr. Cal Nicholas, became very close with Walt. In fact, on Tuesdays, my dad would go into Shea Stadium 
that's where they were practicing. And um, on Tuesdays, which was his day off, you know, Walt was just the kind of guy. He would sit with my dad, and they would watch film, and he would teach my, my dad a lot about football. Well, he would also come to our house, became very close friends with his whole family. And he would come to the house, and he started teaching me a lot of football. We would watch John Riggins at Kansas when he was in college, and we would watch Penn State games, and we would watch a lot of different things. And he taught me a lot just sitting with him all the time. And he was never too busy to explain. And he was not a flowery type person. He was just right to the point. He didn't mince words. Um, but he was really a, a, a kind, kind man and who took a lot of time with me. So that's when I first met him all through high school, not knowing. So, so he worked there 63 to 73. As I said, then when Charlie Winter came in as head coach, Walt went to the Philadelphia Eagles. And he was, as, as you know, Walt was the defensive coordinator of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three team at one. And he had the number one defense in the, uh, in, the, in the AFC at that time. So they were unbelievable. So now in 73, he goes to the Philadelphia Eagles to be their defensive coordinator. And Charlie Winter was head coach. Then when Lou Holtz came in, uh, Walt was an assistant coach for a year. And then when Lou Holtz left, Walt became the head coach in 77, and I was blessed to be able to work for the man that I've known since I was 12 years old, and it was awesome, and I was working in the scouting department, and he was awesome to work for. You know, I go downstairs, he, would, he might ask me, can you find out about so-and-so as a player in college? He valued my opinion. He um, asked what I could find out about different things. We always talked. Again, you know, he was at the house a lot, but he was just a very easy guy. Um, he then, and he also is the only Jet coach to hire um, ex-Jets as assistant coaches. He believed in that. And he hired Ralph Baker and Billy Barrett, who were on the Super Bowl team, as assistant coaches. And when he went to the USFL, where he won, and Donald Trump hired him there because at the, after he had left the Jets, and he won there, he hired Clark Gaines. Uh, as an assistant coach, who was a really good running back for us. So he all, he believed in taking Jets as assistant coaches, which I thought was also a, a wonderful thing. So as I said, he was great to work for. Um, he was all football. He wasn't the type that, well, we have to have a million meetings to figure things out. As long as you got your work done, doesn't matter how you do it, how long it takes, that was it. So he was a very simple guy, easy to get along with. Um, but you know, as for the players, I know a lot of them were afraid of him, but they respected him and the defensive players loved him. They knew that he really knew his stuff and he was not, uh, he was honest as the day is long. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I mentioned before, Connie, that Walt Michaels was a big part of that turnaround because when he took over, the team was pretty much in shambles after the whole Lou Holtz fallout and that whole disaster that went down. And quickly, the culture started to change. The draft started to get better and everything started to click a little bit and you saw the team moving in the right direction. Talk to me a little bit about that period 
and the turnaround and working together with Walt and how much input Walt had in certain moves and the way everybody kind of worked together to help bring the Jets back from, I guess you would say in some senses, the abyss. Yeah, Walt had very, well, he had very uh, straightforward but simple thoughts on what he wanted. Like when people used to say, you know, what's the most important thing to Walt for a defensive lineman? Or what's the, what's the most important thing for a defense? It, it would be get the quarterback. <laughs> and that's all he would say to Mark Gastineau, to, to Klecko, to, and what are you supposed to do? Get the quarterback. That's just the, the basis of everything. If you, if you can get the quarterback, no matter how good he is, that's he, he, has, he used to do the, the, um, the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid, right? And that's what he believed in. You don't want to give guys a million things to think about, but you play smart play tough and keep it basically simple so they could, they could play to the best of their abilities. And he, the drafts were, he knew the kind of player that he wanted in the draft, smart guys. He liked smart guys. Um, and the chemistry was really good in the locker room with the guys. So as I said, they, some of them were a little bit afraid of him. And, and then as we got better um, and some of the offensive players probably didn't always know how, how great he was compared to the defensive players because they had Joe Walton. And he was a really good offensive coordinator. But some people are great offensive or defensive coordinators, but they're not great head coaches. And that's fine. And so much, you see that happen so often in the NFL. People don't always know exactly what they are, or they, and they always want to reach further and not able to identify what they really are. And Joe Walton was a great offensive coordinator, and he probably should have stayed there because as a head coach, he was not that great. Walt was much better. And then, so when he did let, get let go of the team, oh, it fell down to seven and nine and seven and nine the next two seasons once Joe Walton took over. I want to get back to that, but first, I want to talk a little bit about how Walt would handle situations that would arise because back then, we didn't know as much as we do now about these things because we didn't have social media and we didn't have cameras everywhere and we didn't have a million reporters. But the one that I'm thinking of was what happened with Matt Robinson because Matt Robinson had taken over as quarterback for Richard Todd and then he had gotten hurt and it seems like Walt felt like Robinson had lied to him about the way the yeah. injury had happened and lost trust in him. And then Matt Robinson never played again for the Jets. Richard Todd took back over. They ended up trading Matt Robinson away. What do you remember about that whole thing? And was that a big thing for Walt? Trust was key? Yes, very much so. Very much so. You know, he's, as I said, he's a tough coal miner from Pennsylvania. And honesty was probably the, the most important thing to him. And I think from what we gather back then, at least from what we remember and all that, was that the word was going around that he got his, his finger caught in the door. Originally, that was a story. And then it came out that it was horseplay with Joe Klecko. You know, either, I don't know if it was thumb wrestling or goof or just goofing around, you know, type of thing. I don't know exactly what, but that it wasn't, the, the truth wasn't completely told. I, that's all I know. I don't, you know, that's what I've heard. And so as a result, that's what the chain, changes were. And with Walt, that, you know, that does make a difference. And so, as I said, so he went back with Richard and Richard was a very feeling kind of guy. So he handled him, uh, you know, a little more with kid, not kid gloves, but just a little easier than he would with some other people. And as a result, we did, you know, get to the playoffs. Walt, you know, Walt had a temper. There's no question he had a temper, but so do a lot of people. I mean, remember Buddy Ryan punching the guy on the sidelines, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and we know a lot of other coaches that definitely have tempers. <clears throat> but um, 
he really was, as I said, very fair. Um, and it didn't matter who you were as far as working there. He treated everybody the same. You know, you, you could always walk into his office anytime and talk to him about anything, just about anything, too. It didn't have to be about football. He just oh, always had time for you. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Did he have any particular favorites? I know you said he treated everybody the same, but were there any players that were known to be a quote unquote Walt Michaels guy? That's a good question. I, you know, I don't know if he really had favorites. All I know is he gave people chances. I said when, whether you were Kenny Troy, whether you were Brucey Harper, and you were Clark Gaines, you know, you weren't drafted, and they all, you know, they all made the team, became great contributors. Um, it didn't matter what draft pick you were. Um, you know, if you could play, he was, he was going to find a role for you, that type of thing. So I can't say, you know, off the top of my head, did he really, um, you know, have a favorite? Um, you know, he and Bo, I think, got along, of course, great. Um, he and Mark got along great. Klecko, I, I mean, really, he is defense. I never saw him with a player on defense. Oh, I'd say Johnny Sample was the guy that he had a tough time with from the Super Bowl team because Johnny was something brand new, uh, a talkative trash talker. <laughs> but I mean, they, and he played well, but he was like the first of his kind that way. And they ended up playing great. But I think that was like a, something brand new that really hadn't been around too much. So that was kind of a, a new thing with Johnny Sample. You said Walt had a temper and I wanted to ask you about this. I know that you weren't with the Jets anymore in 81, but you knew Walt well. So I was curious if you knew anything about this in terms of having particular insight, if you had talked to Walt about it or if you had talked to anybody around the team about it at the time. But I'm sure you remember that famous outburst with that reporter from the Daily News in 81 after the Jets started off 0-3 and it looked like Walt's job was in big trouble because they were 4-12 the year before in 1980 and then in 81 they start off so poorly. Everybody's speculating that Walt could be on the hot seat he has this confrontation with a reporter from the Daily News. You said Walt had a temper. You have any idea really what went on there? Was this just one of those things where Walt was feeling the heat and snapped a little bit? That one I don't know too much about. Yeah, that because I was after me and Bill. I knew Bill Verrigan, but I didn't know. You know, I wasn't there. I didn't hear too much as to exactly why. But yes, I'm sure. Yes, he could get he could get upset just like he did out in Oakland. You know, he was not Al Davis. We're not real close. He and Don Shula were not real close. Yeah, he only played played one year of ball um, with the Browns, and then Don Shula got traded away, but they were never close. So there was always that real uh, competition between those two. There was not a lot of respect between the two of them. And then Al Davis, a lot of people, you know, um, had a lot of different feelings, and a lot, you know, he wasn't the only one that accused him, but he got, you know, upset from what we understand about the locker room about getting a phone call at halftime of the game. And he thought it was Al Davis making the phone call. And then some guy, the story goes that, that somebody in a bar in New York said, claimed he did it. But again, you know, as I said, back then, you know, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have sports talk really and 24 hour sports and a whole different thing. So we don't know. I wish, you know, be a whole different story now as to exactly what happened with all the stuff you, you heard about it for about a day or two. And then, you know, on you went. It didn't get delved into like we do now with every little thing that goes on. In 81, after that blow up and after the Jets started 0-3 and after everybody was talking about how Walt's job was in jeopardy, the Jets went on a huge run. And a lot of that was because of your good friend and the guy that you discovered and recommended the Jets draft, Mark Gastineau, and the rest of the sack exchange, who absolutely destroyed people all year. 
And one of these days, I'm going to get around to doing an entire series on the 1981 season because it's one of my favorite seasons in Jets history. But here, by the end of the season, the Jets had gone from what looked to be hopeless early in the year to playoff team for the first time in 12 years. They hadn't been in the playoffs since the year after they won the Super Bowl. I know, again, that you weren't with the team anymore, but how happy were you for not only the players on the team, but for Walt, knowing that long history that he had had with the Jets, that he was the one that helped to turn things around like this? I was really happy, uh, you know, because I said he was, you know, I I thought the world of him. And then also, as I told you, my... My, my dad and he were very close, so I, I, they, they were so ecstatic together as far as that whole thing happening and just watching it grow uh, through the years and, and seeing this team come together, you know, with so many different players. And, and just even to this day, that whole team is so close. They, you know, it was before free agency, and that whole team through those, those years um, is something we'll never, ever have again. Um, it's, they're just so close forever. In fact, I guess, I guess that's why so many of them come back to the legends more than anything else is they, they played together you know, for so many years and they, they always have that bond no matter what. It must have meant a lot to Walt personally too, right, to be able to do this? Oh, yeah. So, you know, he was, he was all football. I mean, that's, that's what he loved, as I said, to get out of the coal mines and, he'd play, and he'd play for, he played with Jimmy Brown. He loved playing with Jimmy Brown. I always used to ask him about that. And about how Jimmy Brown was, he just he loved it. Played with Otto Graham, played with a lot of different former greats. Um, he learned so much from Paul Brown, who was his coach for the Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns, and that's where he took a lot of his stuff from. So he had you know quite a really quite a career himself of ten years, all pro as a as a linebacker. And he went to Washington and Lee, and he was very proud of his academic um, degree as well. And going there, and, and as I said, coming out of a, um, I think he was one of either six or seven children, and his brother Lou played in the NFL as well. He played against, and in fact, he, he was a kicker in the Super Bowl when we played against the Colts in the Super Bowl. Let's talk a little bit about the Mud Bowl now, as much as it pains me, Connie. <laughs> I'm going to have to take a deep breath here. Okay. How upset on a scale of one to about to burst a blood vessel do you think that Walt must have been after that game? And again, having to deal with his old nemesis, Don Shula, he must have also suspected or, as I said, known that there was horseplay there, right? I'm sure that set him off more than anything. Yes, I I would believe because from what everybody said, you know, um, you know, it was torrential downpours and rain and everything else and we had the speed we had we had freeman with his light quick feet and we had brucey e. harper and we had you know wesley we had we had the speed at all of our positions and the uh, miami dolphins were m- much more of a lumbering slow team compared to us and so when you think about it it was nothing nothing at the half even with all that and Richard had five interceptions, but uh, we, it, it, so it was really, really frustrating. We know we should have been in the Super Bowl, and it's really, that was really a tough thing to take. And, you know, as I said, Walt and, and Don Shula were never very close. And in the aftermath, Walt Michaels is said to have resigned, citing burnout. But there's for a long time been controversy about what actually happened there. I don't think that Walt Michaels went of his own volition. It sounds like from 
piecing things together. He was forced out. That's more or less your understanding, right? I think anybody, I, I, I would just say anybody that knows Coach Michaels knows that there's no way that he would just step away on his own. Okay, barring that he had some kind of a, you know, a terrible disease and he didn't have a terrible disease. And so um, there's no way that that was going to be the reason for it. Okay, so he loved football and he loved coaching and he knew how close he was. And it just um, nobody knows. I, I wasn't on the plane or what happened afterwards. I wasn't there. Um my dad was part, but he didn't, my, my, my father was always prided himself on keeping things that was always in, inside as far as medical or as far as anything like that. So I, I wouldn't, I can never get inside completely because he would never do that to his dying day. And all I know is that he, he did not step away of his own volition. I've always maintained that the Jets were on the verge of something special and that Walt Michaels being forced out was one of the biggest mistakes that this franchise ever made. I think that if he had stuck around and they hadn't shifted gears to Joe Walton, who, as you said, was a really great offensive coordinator, but didn't bring that same magic to the head coaching position. And if you talk to former players, you'll hear tales about what I'm actually worried about now with Adam Gase, which is that, yeah, he was great as an offensive coordinator. You'd want to run through a wall for him, but as a head coach... You wanted to strangle him, and not in a good way. Not like, oh, he's overworking us. It was more, okay, you really need to ease up and not do what you're doing and micromanage. And it sounds like Walt had things going exactly how they should be going. And right when the Jets were on the right path, they shoved him out, changed gears into Walton, and things kind of fell apart from there. Is that how you feel about this? Do you think that if Walt had stuck around, that perhaps that run from 81 and 82 would have continued on? Maybe I'm partial, or but I, I do believe that. You know, I I really feel that way. Um, I feel some people are are meant to be uh, head coaches versus coordinators, and the way things were progressing um, with another, you know, another good draft or two, I think the and the Jets were really going into their prime. Um, I just think I, I really think they would have. Um, the guys really responding to, you know, they, they really were believing, you know, you have that one year and then you have the second year going to the playoffs. And um, I just, I really think they would have made it. I do. You mentioned before that Walt got a shot in the USFL coaching for the New Jersey generals. And then a couple of years after that, he was in the international American football league, but he never got another chance to be a head coach in the NFL. Does that surprise you? Because to me, I still don't really understand why somebody didn't give him another shot. No, that's, that's the that's the million dollar question. I don't know. We don't know why, or even as an assistant coach or whatever. Um, we were just. Uh, he was very blessed and thankful that that uh, actually Donald Trump uh, jumped right in and grabbed him and uh, thought the world of of Walt as a head coach. And as I said right away. Walt took them, and for the two years they had a winning record and made the playoffs. And then the uh, then the league fold, it was going to uh, mesh with another team, but then the league folded. But he did a great, you know, he did a really good job there. So I don't really know. We don't know, you know, what what the word out was or anything like that. Never really will find that out. I guess. Did you keep in touch with Coach Michaels afterwards? And what was his life like post football? 
Yeah, well, he had a he, he bought a place down in Florida for a while, and so we would see him quite often. He would go back and forth, and he so he had a place down here, and then in fact he would come over to um, when my my parents retired down to Florida near me, um, and he would come over for the Fourth of July, and he would just in fact one story that was great. My son was playing at the time; he was in uh, middle school, and he was playing flag football, and um, his coach was a giant fan, which wasn't too great, but a good friend of ours, <laughs> and. So he was having a practice for flag football and Walt had come over to the house for a visit. And so we said, why don't you come over and, um, and you can come to Chris's practice for his flag football. So Walt said, sure. So we went over to the practice and I thought Chris's coach was going to fall, <laughs> fall out of the stands or fall off the field or whatever. And he said, he said to me, that's the only time I've ever been so nervous in my life. Uh, Chris's coach, he said, I can't believe you brought Walt Michaels to watch my flag football practice. So it was really amazing. But he came and he talked to all the kids. It was great. And then after that, I would, um, I always, after every, after every Sunday, he and I would talk on the phone about the games every Sunday. And, you know, as I said, when he wasn't around, but we always stayed in touch. If you were to sum up Walt Michaels in a couple of sentences, what would you say about your old friend? Walt was a really good football man and a really kind man who brought a lot of success to Jet fans and to the Jet team that will be greatly missed by so many. And I thank him also so much for being my mentor and teaching me so much about football and taking the time to do it. Walt Michaels, certainly somebody who deserves to be remembered, not only as a coach, but a human being. And I'm really glad that you were able to talk to me about him and share your memories. And we could tell people who may not be as aware as they should be of his legacy all about it. And I'm really glad that you were able to share some of your memories from camp and tell me what you're really excited to see, because I know that I am super excited for football season because Right now, when I look through Twitter, it's all boring regular season baseball stuff and other things that I don't care about. I just want my football back, and I know you agree. So this is one of my favorite times of year because it's almost like Christmas. You're unwrapping the present of football coming back. So I'm really glad that you're coming up and that you're going to be at training camp again. I wish that I could be out there. Unfortunately, the next best thing is that Chris Nimbley from Jets Insider will be out there covering it for us, and we'll be doing daily podcasts from there. But I really hope, Connie, oh, that great. you have a great time out there. I'm hoping that we can figure out a way for me to get out there or at least somewhere in Jersey and meet you in person while you're up here. And I hope that soon you'll come back so that we can do a whole series on your life and career in the NFL because it's been something that I've wanted to do for a while, especially since you're such a trailblazer and you have such a great story to tell and you wrote a whole book about it, in fact. So for anybody that's unfamiliar with your story or the book that you wrote, why don't you go ahead and let them know all about it? And if they want to get in contact with you and talk to you on social media, why don't you go ahead and let them know how they could do that too? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Scott. You've always been so kind to me and I always enjoy talking to you. And secondly, okay, it's called, my book is called X's and O's Don't Mean I Love You, written by Elizabeth Meineke, and it's on Amazon. Okay, and it's um, also in Kindle form as well as in the paperback. And I will be up at Jet Camp, and as I said, just uh, Connie Scouts. Um, I have also my website, Connie Scouts. I'm on Twitter as Connie Scouts, and I'm on Facebook as Connie Scouts. And I look forward to talking to any Jet fan or any football fan. So if you're loyal to a team, I love it. Loyalty is the name of the game. 
Make sure you follow Connie on Twitter. She's a must follow. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and connect with her there. If you're a training camp, like she said, she loves talking to fans, so go up and say hello. If you haven't read her book, you absolutely have to order it. I'm telling you, you will not be sorry. I've read it twice myself now. I know I'm a little biased, <laughs> Connie, but I think it's one of the great football books that you could possibly read. I love your story. And like you said, I always enjoy talking to you. I can't wait to have you back on the show again. Connie Carberg, thanks so much. Enjoy training camp. And if you can't be there like Connie is going to be, don't forget that we are going to have coverage every day with Chris Nimbley from JetsInsider.com. And that is where you can find all the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast. Turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.